Hello again. Once upon a time, a family got up for Christmas Day. They put the turkey on nice and early. They laid the dinner table. They checked their presents and made sure they were ready for their return. And off they went to church. They came back from church. And there to their horror on the front doorstep was their dog munching into the Christmas turkey. <gasps> they grabbed what they could. Naughty dog, bad dog. And they went inside. But as they got into the kitchen, they could smell a nice warm turkey. And they came up to the oven, and sure enough, their turkey was still in the oven. They glanced out the window to the next door, and they could see their kitchen door was lying open. And in fact, inside, they could see the oven door was lying open. Quick, said Mum, take that turkey round and dump it on that doorstep. Naughty people, bad people. Now, the angels announced good news of great joy. But why was it such good news? Well, the answer is simple. That up to then, there'd been nothing but bad news. And to have good news, it needs to be understood what the backdrop is. And in this story of... And in the story of the Bible, there's a dragon lurking in the shadows. You see, Jesus had to come down on earth because of people, naughty people, bad people, people like us. So, where do we see this dragon? Well, King Herod wasn't a Jew, but he ruled Judea. He was a cruel and wicked ruler. He murdered his father-in-law. Several of his ten wives he murdered, and two of his own sons. Why? Well, he made Henry VIII look positively saintly because he was insecure. He was jealous, full of rage and vanity. And the news from wise men that there could be a rival king of the Jews somewhere frightened him. And he retaliated to the news of Jesus' birth by ordering the death of all young infant boys in Bethlehem who were under the age of two, just to be sure. It was too late. By then... God had told Joseph to remove Jesus out of the country. So, even in our happy Christmas story, there is a sinister presence lurking in the shadows. Who is the dragon? Well, from our Bible reading there, we learn that the dragon was waiting for the birth of Jesus, God's son, in order to devour him. But he failed. And the identity of that dragon is revealed in verse 9 of Revelation chapter 12 that we read. It said, the great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled down to the earth, was with him. Now in Hebrew, Hebrew calls him the Satan, or we call it Satan. It's, it's, it's a title rather than a name. Uh, it means, as it describes in this passage, the accuser, the adversary, the deceiver, the enemy. In Greek, the word is diabolos, or what we call the devil. And that's the same thing. And he first appears right at the beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis, chapter 3, where we heard earlier. And we find him stalking a woman in God's perfect garden of Eden. 
Now, this Eden is a luscious and beautiful tropical paradise. God placed man, Adam and Eve, there, and they were perfect, innocent. They were naked, and they didn't bother. It was enjoying bountiful provision of fruits and seeds. There was no agriculture, no industry. It wasn't needed. Everything was free. If you're hungry, just pick a fruit. It's all there, 24-7, 365 days a year. They enjoyed the bountiful provision that God had laid out for them, and they were honorable, clean. There was no disease, no illness, no wickedness. Every day they enjoyed fellowship with God, who walked in the garden with them, and they gently could rule over the animal kingdom. But then who is this Satan or the devil? Details are sketchy, but the Bible does describe him as Lucifer or the son of light, a once powerful archangel who rebelled against God way back even before creation had begun on earth. In his pride, he, a created being, wanted to be God and take over and rule this kingdom. And he and his subordinate demons fought against God, but as our reading tells us, he lost the first battle and was slung out of heaven. But yet somehow, God has permitted the devil, for a short time at least, to influence and test humanity. And that's why he's called the tempter in the Bible. The word tempt means to test. His methods are subtle. He uses lies and deceit. He's actually called the deceiver, and he seeks to undermine any confidence in God's word of truth. Hear how Jesus described the devil. He was a in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But what was this dragon doing in the Garden of Eden? Well, while Adam and Eve enjoyed God's company and his bounty, God had given him his word and instructions with one warning. At the very center of the garden were two trees. One was the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You see, mankind was not yet exposed to wickedness and evil. It was bound up in that tree. And God never intended mankind to be exposed to evil. And that's why he warned man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For in the day you eat from that, you will certainly die. Enter the dragon in the form of a serpent. I can't do it as well as Richard did in some of his uh, little episodes over summer. But this dragon picks on the woman and then presents her with three lies, three big whoppers. Lie number one. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree? I hope you can see his tactics here right away. What he's doing is he's putting doubt into the mind of the woman by challenging and distorting God's word. He doesn't want us to trust the Bible, so he warps what was said. What did God say? It said, 
of the tree in the middle of the garden that you should not eat from it or you will certainly die. Now, Eve knew this text, but she quoted it incorrectly. Eve realized that God had allowed them to eat any tree except the one in the middle, and she said that. And she then went on to say that God said, you must not touch it. Well, actually, God hadn't said that, but did say, if you do, you will die. She understood that. So at least she was able to hold her ground for the first lie. But then came lie number two. And this time the devil takes a different tack. He uses a direct contradiction and another misquote of the Bible. He says to her, you will not certainly die. Sowing the seed of doubt into her mind. And here the devil is playing on her ignorance. Die? What's that? What's death? The woman had never seen or experienced or even heard of death. She was just warned that if she took of the fruit, she would die. And in fact, God's word, if you look back on it in the previous chapter, said, you will certainly die on the day you eat that. So, by her sheer innocence, the devil deceived her. The dragon was in there already. She was never intended to know, let alone experience death. Then comes life. And this is a double whopper, this one. The devil then said, look, if you do take of it, it's very nice, but you will be like God, knowing good and Two lies in one. You see, mankind already knew what good was. Here it was in the Garden of Eden, all around them, God's bounty. They could meet with him and talk with him. They experienced it every day, but God was protecting them from evil, the other half of that pair of adjectives. He did not intend us to know hurt. He didn't want us to know wickedness pain, violence, disease, viruses, yes, poverty, plague, murder, war, and suffering. And they had a choice. So this second lie is even worse. The devil promised that they would be like God. Do you know why that's a big lie? Well, in Genesis chapter 1, it tells us that God created mankind in his own image. Mankind was already like God. They didn't need to steal fruit that was forbidden to discover that they could be like God. God had created, he had made us human beings like him. We have a body, we have a mind, we have a soul. We are in three parts too. And the thing is that the whole idea is that we imagine things. We are a creative, engineering, art, drama, so on. We have got a perfect spirit that longs for companionship with God. We had been made perfect in God's likeness and his image. There was no need for anything further. But the couple made the wrong choice. They disobeyed. 
and in came the first sin. The disease was introduced, and it spread sideways and vertically and through time. It has destroyed our world. Evil now abounds everywhere. Sin stains our lives. It spoils our lives. We can't be what we should be. It, it separates us. We fight with one another. But worse, it separates us from the God that made us, our maker, our source of life. All of us are infected. And uh, in the book of Romans, we're reminded that sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin. And in this way, Death came to everyone, to all people, because all sinned. And that we know, that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the penalty for sin came to pass, death. The wages of sin is death, and that is something all of us must go through. But it's not just the physical death of this body. No, it's worse. It's eternal death that is in this punishment, cut off separated from God forevermore. And there's a presence of sin everywhere we look. Everything is tainted by it. And there's a power of sin through death that prevents us being what we should have been and who we could have become. And the consequences are there. What did Adam and Eve do? Well, they hid. We have been hiding from God ever since. God came into the garden and he looked for Adam. And he said, where are you? He looks at you, he looks at me, and he says, where are you? Spiritually, where do you stand? Where are you? What sort of person have I become? And then he asked, did you eat? And so started the blame game. And the blame game goes like this. God asked Adam. Adam said, the woman did this. The woman blamed the serpent. And the serpent, well, as the joke goes, he didn't have a leg to stand on. But you can see, the blame game has kept going through generations. We always think it's not me, it's somebody else. And yet the middle letter of the word sin is the letter I. And do you know one word we don't hear in this passage? The word from Adam's lips, sorry. No, we don't hear or read of that here. And so God punished. The woman was punished with pain and birthing and distorted relationships of the sexes followed. Man was condemned to hard labor. Agriculture would have to happen. The ground would not yield its fruit the way Eden did. And all mankind, certain death. But yet, looking to the serpent, God said this. He put a promise in there to the dragon in the garden. He promised the dragon that one of the descendants of woman but not a descendant of a man, would come. And in verse 15 of chapter 3 of Genesis, it says, I will put enmity, there will be an, an opponent, an enemy between you, the serpent, and the woman, and between your descendants and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. God here predicts who Adam and Eve but also to the serpent. The dragon slayer is coming. And at Christmas, the dragon slayer came. Jesus is that dragon slayer. The story is told that at a school, a 
teacher said to her class, I want you to do a, a painting, and I want you in this painting to put what the real message of Christmas is. So can you do that for me? And so they all set about painting. She gave them half an hour, and then she walked around and looked at the various offerings. Some had a nice little cradle with a, a baby in it and a star above it. Others had shepherds. Others had wise men making their way. Several had Christmas trees and Santa Claus even. But she was horrified when she looked at one boy's offering. He had drawn a Christmas tree with a baby hanging from the tree. And she stepped back. But then she and realized of all the drawings in this classroom, one had hit the true mark. Because Jesus was the baby that was born to die, to deal with the dragon, to slay once and for all. It says in the, in, in the Bible, in, in 1 John, the reason the Son of God appeared, destroy the devil's work. And uh, in Hebrew, we read that Jesus shared in our humanity. Why? So that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Jesus would break the power of sin and the power of death together. Where did Jesus die? Well, as the baby points out, on a tree, on the cross. Why? Well, what happened? On the cross, as he hung, Jesus said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What was going on? You see, thousands of people were killed by the Romans on a cross. Being killed on a cross was nothing special in those days. That's what you could see. But what was going on spiritually behind the scenes? Jesus, through these words, let us see what was happening. God had turned his back on his only son, Jesus, and forsaken him. He, as it were, walked away from him. But worse than that, worse than that, why did he do that? Because God was putting sin on Jesus, and Jesus was taking our sin on that cross. You couldn't see it, but it was all happening. And in doing so, he was dragging the sword and squirting it and destroying the head and the power of Satan. How could I illustrate this? I've done this before, so pardon me if you've seen it before. But I want you to see, uh, let's take this little pack of uh, little uh, oh, uh, papers, and, and let's just say, let that be all the sins of, of the things that I've done. For Adam, it's all the things that he did. Uh, for me, it's all the things I've done. So here I am, and I've got my sins. I, I rather like them. I, I don't want to take them away from myself if I can avoid it, although at times I'm embarrassed. But God says the wages of sin is death. He's going to punish sin. Now, if he comes down upon me and my sin, it will destroy me. Let this hand represent, though, the hand of Jesus. He was not Adam's son. He had no sin. He was perfect. But he looked at me, and on that cross, he came forward and stepped forward and took my sin, your sin, every sin since Adam's to the end of creation. 
And he then willingly stepped forward that God might bring his wrath on top of his only son and punish him. For ours on the cross, Jesus was forsaken, and the punishment, the wrath that went for sin fell upon Jesus. So that at the end, he could cry, it is finished. In Greek, it's just one word. It means done. What had he done? Well, yes, he'd taken our sin, but in doing that and rising from the dead, he destroyed the power of the devil. He's wiped out the dragon. He has slain the dragon. Yes, the dragon may be gored in the head, and there may still be some living uh, period to go through before Jesus finally will return to this world and physically remove him to the pit and to the burning lake, which is what it teaches in the Bible. But we have an opportunity to dis discover why Jesus died and to find that he can break the power of death and of sin indeed in our own lives. He removes the penalty instantly you become a Christian and surrender to him. He gently is working with you to remove the power of that sin through your Christian life as you trust him. And one day he will take you clean out of the presence of sin because he will have cleaned it away with its dragon forevermore. So that we read in the Bible, just as through the disobedience of one man, Adam, many of us were made sinners, so through the obedience of one man, Jesus, many will be made righteous. He can be yours. He is ours and those who trust him. Turn to him and learn that word that Adam didn't. Say sorry. Trust that he died on the cross for your sin, and you will find forgiveness, peace, and a new life. And you will find that you can walk and day by day learn how to fight the dragon. Amen.